This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Do you still remember the last time you saw him? You've seen him since then, occasionally, but you've You've never seen him the way you used to see him. You, you remember the last time you saw him. It was on a ball field and you had just finished the game and you, you wanted to play so well and you wanted, you wanted dad to be proud of you. You didn't feel that great about how you played and his hug and his words afterwards seemed somewhat obligatory. But you had no idea. You had no idea as he walked away that day that the person that you'd called dad, the person who promised to raise you, decided to be more interested in raising his own pride and his own desires. And you would rarely see him after that day, but you would never see him like you used to see him. Or for some of you, it seems like just yesterday, they, they were there. You would talk about the future and you would talk about your plans and your dreams. There was that place that you loved to go on vacation. There were the shops that you loved to walk to together and so many memories and you thought, you thought there would be so many more. But having someone you deeply love pass away, it, it, it always feels too early, too soon. No matter what the age is, it always feels like we're just not ready. Or maybe for you, you still see them, but you pretend you don't. It is that, that weird thing about life that sometimes you run into people that you used to be close to, you used to be friends with, you used to hang out with, you spend time on the weekends together, you, you, you had a close relationship and, and something happened, you call it betrayal. But the relationship changed in a very definitive way and from that moment on it's been different and it's, it's odd to see somebody that you used to know, but you don't anymore. It's, it's strange to be around someone that you knew so well, and now you, you pretend like you don't see them. It's relationships. And the book of Romans essentially is about relationships. Chapters 1 through 11 deal with our relationship with God because if we don't get that right and we don't understand that foundation and we're not living in a way that Jesus is an active part of our lives, then if we don't know God and we don't know what it is to be loved by God and love God, there's no way we know fully how to love other people. If we don't understand what it is to be forgiven, there's no way we're ever going to forgive other people. And so the first the first 11 chapters deal with our relationship with God, and then chapters 12 through 16 deal with our relationships with each other. 
relationships. And have you ever noticed when it comes to relationships how something so meaningful is so fragile? Relationships determine so much of our value, how we think about ourselves. And sometimes in relationships, relationships we lost or relationships we messed up or relationships that we miss, something that's broken defines so much of who we are. And without even knowing it, without even realizing it, it's it's not an intentional thing, but it is an automatic thing. It is part of our nature. We spend so much of our lives laying what's been broken over on top of what God thinks of us. We see ourselves through the unique lens of failure, of disappointment, of loss. And we take what we've known in human relationships and we we lay that over onto our relationship with God. And this morning, we come to the middle section of Romans chapter 8. And there's something unique that I want you to see in this passage that maybe you've never seen it before. Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. If you're not a Christ follower, you're new to church, or maybe you're a Christ follower, but you haven't really read the Bible much in life, this passage I'm praying this morning really comes alive in your life and mine because it speaks to the brokenness in our own lives that often comes from relationships that we allow to filter and affect how we view our relationship with God. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What we're walking through right now, that that loss, that pain, that hurt, that pales in comparison. You, You can't even compare it to how incredible our God is and the eternity that he has for us. And So often in life, it just doesn't feel like that. And so because our God knows how we feel and how we think, he took the time before you were ever born, before you ever walked through your first loss, before you ever dealt with a a difficult relationship, he put it down so we would have it to hold on to as, as handles to navigate the hard seasons, the painful moments. I consider that our present suffering I wonder this morning, are you suffering? Is there some area of your life that the pain is so profound and the suffering is so deep that even though it's in one area of your life, it it has invaded all of your life. You try to smile and you try to be hopeful and you... Try to think about the future, but the the pain just seems contagious to all of you, every part of your being. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, not to us, in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and the glory of the children of God. 
we know that the interesting phrase here, whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The whole creation has been groaning. And you don't, you don't hear it, but you know it. Our world is broken. Our world is messed up. Our world is a place now of more pain and suffering and confusion and anger and bitterness and resentment, perhaps than any other time in the history of the world. But the whole creation has been groaning. And it's a groaning that is intensifying. Ever since the book of Genesis, nothing has turned out the way it was designed to be. We were, we were supposed to, we were, we were created to live in a garden, a place of perfection. We were created, we, we do not have the ability within us to forgive because forgiveness was something we were never supposed to have to do. We were supposed to live in perfection in our relationships, in harmony with our God, in a garden living perfect and naked, I might add. And nothing, nothing looks now like the way it was designed to be. We have so broken and messed up what God originally intended. And so if you, if you feel like I'm in pain, I'm suffering. My life is broken. It's not just you. It's our world. That doesn't minimize what you're walking through. That doesn't make you feel any better about what you're walking through, but just know it's not just you. I mean, think about the Bible. Page one is the creation. And scientists tell us there was a big bang. And if you read the Bible, you agree there was a big bang that started creation. Scientists cannot explain the bang. We know the bang was the voice, booming voice of a God speaking creation into existence. Page one is creation. Page two, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be perfect. Here's what it looks like. You're in a garden. The weather is always perfect. <laughs> the humidity. Nobody ever says, oh, much how much humidity we have. No, nobody ever complains about, hey, you need to be in the shade. Don't be in the sun, especially if you're bald. Like, it's always perfect. Page one is creation. Page two, this is going to be awesome. Page three, we broke it. We blew it. And since page three, it hasn't been what God initially intended. And because of that, one of the most common questions that, that we often ask, sometimes out loud, sometimes in discussion, but often to ourselves, and even occasionally to God maybe, one of the questions that we ask is, why does God allow evil? But I step back and look at who I am and who we are and what we are capable of. And I wonder if a better question since page three is not, why does God allow love? How does it even exist in this kind of mess that we, we live in? We've messed up so much. How has God not given up on his idea of love? We know that God's desire is that we love him. And for there to truly be a choice to love, there must be a choice to not love. 
God has no desire that you and I just be robots that are forced to love him. He wants us to love him, but for that to be authentic and real and deep and something that is highly intimate and connective, there must also be the choice to not love. For there to be a choice to do good, there must also be a choice to do evil. And so for the sake of authentic love, God allows brokenness. And from the moment we crashed creation, the entire world has been groaning in brokenness. Generation after generation, we we know we're broken. The backdrop to our lives, the backdrop to our families, to to our ancestors in so many areas, there, there is this groaning that is not audible but is known. Because of the areas that we've messed up, and we have no idea how to fix. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. Now I thought, I thought last week we talked about how we are adopted sons and daughters and now it says we wait for our adoption. Here's the picture in the language. You have been adopted, I've been adopted. If you're a Christ follower, we've been adopted into the family of God. But there is a process that must be gone through to transfer us from where we are to where we're going to be. All the paperwork has to be done. All the systems have to be put in place. And so we've been adopted, but we are not where we are going to be. As we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Real hope. If hope is based on what you see, if hope is based on the arguments you can make and the case that you can build, if if hope is something that, that you can sort of put together in your thoughts, that's not really hope at all. Hope is deeper than that. Hope is more profound than that. Hope is something that brings peace when you don't have the argument, when you when you can't build the case, when you have no idea what it's going to look like, and yet there is still this deep inner peace provided only by God. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. He's saying you're you're living in a broken world. Not just your relationships, but you, me, who we are. So we eagerly wait for this adoption. There's something better, and one day you're going to be home. Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through the wordless groans. There is that word again, groans. It's it's only used six times in the original language. The word that this is translated from is only used six times in all of the Bible, and it seems to be hitting quite often in this passage. He's saying there are those times that the suffering, the pain, what we're walking through is is so deep and so profound, I, I don't even know what to pray for. I don't even know how to, how to think and how to, how to process this. I, I don't know if I should go left or right. I, I don't know if I should go forward and keep trying a retreat and go backwards and take a break and sit down and wait a minute. I, I have no idea how to navigate that. And in those moments when I don't even know how to pray, this passage says that the Spirit, the Spirit of God, intercedes through us. And how does he do it? Through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And then, 
Then we, we come to it. There it is. It's the verse. The verse that many hold on to. If you're a Christ follower, you grew up in church, this verse is, is not unknown to you. Maybe you're, you're new to church, you're not a Christ follower, and you're going to be hearing this for the first time. But when you hear it, you will understand why so many have held on to this verse. Here it is. It was the verse that Angie's grandfather would sign under his name in every letter. He gave me a Bible when we got married, and under his name in that Bible, he, he, under his signature, he wrote Romans 8, 28. It's, it's the verse. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. It's, it's the verse that provides a kind of peace. It's, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. That verse was always under his signature because... He lived through some stuff. Angie's grandfather was born on a farm in Charlotte, North Carolina. He was so small when he was born, he weighed under two pounds and he was so tiny, they put him in a shoebox and they would take bricks from the fireplace and put them around the shoebox to keep him warm. And that little farming community, they would rotate and they would take turns 24 hours a day, putting the bricks around that little shoebox, hoping that somehow he might survive. And by the grace and the plan of God, he did. Growing up, he had a very close friend. They grew up together. And then on one occasion, he went to hear a preacher under a tent. This was back in the day. And he gave his life to Jesus, and so did his friend. And then he would spend the rest of his life working as the right hand to this friend, a guy, a guy named Billy Graham. And so T.W., Angie's grandfather, his entire life, under his name, would write Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. We have five grandkids. I know you look at me, you think, no way. He can't be over 30. I, I, I get it, I get it. But the older grandkids, our oldest grandson, I think is about eight years old. The older grandkids, they, they like to play a game. And they like to play this game where they say, okay, you say three things and in the three things you're going to say, two of them are true, but tell us one thing that's not true, and we'll guess which one's not true. So this morning, while sometimes life does feel like a cruel game, it's no game at all. It's very, very real. But I do want to tell you two truths and a lie about your life. The first truth is this. Our lives and our world shouldn't be the way they are. It shouldn't be like this. You turn on the news, you look at your marriage, you think about your kids, you think about how you feel, you think about the weight that you carry, you think about how, how we have to live now and what you're supposed to shut up about and what you're supposed to agree with and what you have to fall in line with. You think about how you have to navigate things financially. When gas costs more than your first kid. I mean, you think about the pressure that we deal with in life. And there's something, there's something inside you that knows. It shouldn't be like this. Life should not be like this. The second truth is this. 
the best is yet to come. Scripture teaches us that we are eternal souls that reside for a brief season in a body here on earth. But there's so much more that will last so much longer. But, but we know inside us that there's got to be, there's got to be something better. I can prove it to you. Somebody dies and no matter who they were, no matter how they lived, we say they've gone to a better place. Where? I don't know. Why do you say that? Because you're supposed to say that. They've gone to a better place. I don't, I don't know. It's just what you say. But it, but it comes from that, the, the wiring inside us that God created us with where, where we know it, it shouldn't be this bad and it's got to get better. And God has a path and a way to help us discover that. The two truths. Now let me tell you the lie. It's all going to work out just fine. I wish, I wish I could tell you that, but I'm about to ruin your lunch. It's all going to work out just fine. Romans 8, 28, God says everything works for the good. It's all going to work out just fine. That's, I, I can find random verses throughout the Bible that don't really fit together, and I can make them say what I want them to say but I can't find a page in the Bible where the verses in context say that it's all going to work out just fine. Wait, 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 wait. Romans 8, 28, all things are going to work out for good. That's not a sentence, it's a phrase, and it's an incomplete phrase, and that's what we do. We take pieces of a verse, and we build a platform for our lives, and then when it crumbles, we wonder what happened. You'll never build a meaningful life on a piece of truth. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And there's so much more to what we ignore than to what we cling to. Paul says, let me tell you who it's all going to work out good for. Let me tell you who everything is going to be fine for. Let, let me share with you who can trust the plan and who, who still has a purpose. It's for those who love him. Love him. That, that's, not a, that's not a feeling. Love him is not like, ooh, when Casey sings, so will I. I feel this feeling inside. I just love God. Oh. Yeah, and your problem is you spend so much of your time chasing a feeling instead of the Father. And then when the feeling fades, you think the Father left. Wow. Love Him is not a feeling. Love Him is not defined by attending services or, or, or believing convenient verses that make us feel good. L love his, Him isn't even just saying that you believe in Jesus. It's all going to work out for those who love him. And what is loving him? Well, let's let him define it. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Love is doing. Love is a verb. Love is obeying. Love is what infuses oxygen into what you say you believe. And Paul says, for those who are obeying Jesus and living their lives according to his purpose, not your own purpose, that's how you know you belong to God. That's how you know you're his child. That's how you know he's got you and whatever you're going through, it won't even compare to what you're going to experience one day. But for now, even in what you're going through, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, God has a purpose even in that. 
But, but listen, if you're not obeying, and you're just living your life the way you want according to your purpose and not God's, the Bible is crystal clear. If you read verses in context, God takes all of the guesswork out for us. There is no confusion. It's not going to be okay. In fact, it's going to get a lot worse. Now, I'm assuming you, you, you came on a Sunday to church, not just for the air conditioning, although thank God for the air conditioning. I'm assuming you're sitting in this room because you want to know the truth, and sometimes truth collides with our reality, and sometimes truth is inconvenient, and often in life it takes courage to lean into truth because it's difficult, and it means some things have to change, but I'm assuming you're here because you want truth, and the greatest thing I can do for you is to help us go where we need to go, not just where we want to go, and Paul, Paul makes it very clear. God works everything out for the good. It's all going to be fine. It's all going to be okay. What you're walking through right now won't even compare to what you're going to experience in eternity. For, for those who love him, follow his teachings. You're not following Jesus if you're not following his teachings. And live according to his purpose and his desires and his plan for your life, not your own. And then... There's this passage in Mark chapter 7. Jesus has become very well known by now. He is famous and carries the burden of what that looks like. He's known as the guy who can actually walk on water. The stories have been spread about how the little girl was dying and he came and he just touched her hand and said, get up and oxygen came back into her lungs and he helped her stand up. They've seen him enough to know there's a difference and he's exhausted because he's fully God, but he's also fully man and he, he needs to sort of get away. And so they, they go to this little town, they're trying to get away, but the people quickly figure out that's the 13 and there he is and he must be the one. And Mark chapter seven, verse 31 says, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. There's some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. And after he took him aside, after he took him aside, after he took him aside, that's important, we'll come back to it, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. That's just gross. He, he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh, the exact same word as groaning, it's only used six times in all the Bible. It literally means a, a, a groaning or a deep sigh coming from a place of suffering. With a deep sigh, said to him, hard word, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus is trying to get some rest. He's trying to get away. And they bring him someone who cannot hear at all, and who's never spoken a word. And they say, could you just touch him? Like, we, we know your reputation. We know what you can do. And what's interesting to me about the passage is that Jesus takes this man and takes him aside. He gets him away from the crowd. Like, if you're Jesus and you want people to know you're, you're the son of God, this is your moment. 
You put this guy up on a pedestal somewhere and you zap him and everybody sees, wow, he can hear and he can speak now. Like, this is your moment. You can expand your reputation. But there was something about Jesus that he was always more concerned with our reputation than his and with our feelings than some ulterior agenda. And so he takes this man aside. Why would he take the man aside? Why does he get him away from the crowd when this could be such a moment? Just think about it. He's never heard a word. He's never spoken a syllable. But he has been the brunt of a lot of bad jokes he's never heard. He's been walking down the road to turn and see someone new coming into town driving their carriage, and everybody's laughing because that person is frustrated, and they've been screaming at him, but he hasn't heard it. And so in humiliation and embarrassment, he sees what's going on, and he slips to the side of the road. He's been in the marketplace where he finally got to the front of the line, and it's time to order, but how do you order when at that time there's no universal sign language? How do you say what you want, and how do you describe colors with fingers? And he's trying to express what he's trying to get only to be tapped on the shoulder to turn to a long line of a frustrated, impatient, angry crowd who's screaming at him. No, this this is a man who's been humiliated by crowds. And Jesus knows that. So he takes him away from the crowd And maybe he places the disciples where they they keep the crowd at bay. And he gets him somewhere where it's just him and this guy. And then he leans forward and he takes his fingers and he puts them in his ears. And then, and he probably had to prize jaw open because we don't usually want somebody spitting in our mouth like, if you do, you need therapy. There's counseling for that. You, you're a long way down the road. You need help. But, but normally, normally that's not. What is he doing? I know exactly where it hurts. And I have the ability to speak your language. I understand what you feel what you're going through, and where you are. And what's fascinating, with a deep sigh, not a deep sigh from the man, a deep sigh from Jesus, so connected with the pain and the suffering of someone that he wanted to protect them instead of letting them be a part of an agenda. And he wanted to speak to them in a language they understood and let them know, I know right where you are. And for the first time, can you imagine? For the first time, The noise, yes, from a distance because he took him a little bit away. But for the first time, the noise of the marketplace begins to invade his ears in such a big way his eyes can't even take in what he's hearing. And for the first time, he hears himself speak words. But that's that's a guy who can't hear and can't talk and That's cool what Jesus did, but my issue is I have an addiction. My issue is 
I don't know how to have somebody love me that says they don't love me anymore. My issue is I have a child that's hurting that I'm trying to raise and I've done everything I know how to do and I, I can't just fix that. Let, let's, let's, let's play the game one more time, but this time two lies and a truth. The first lie you've told yourself is your situation is impossible. Your situation is impossible. See, you know it and I know it. Your choices, your behavior, it feels like in some area of your life, life is over. Those parts of you where the dreams have died. Listen, I, I don't care what you've done. I say that with love. I don't care how bad it's been because bad doesn't define you. Today and every day is simply about what God has done for you. And the more impossible your circumstances, the more probable his intervention will come into your life, but you have to allow that. All he needs is your willingness. Our God, our God does great things with dead things. He always has. So if you think your situation is impossible, you're lying to yourself. Just like this guy that Jesus pulled aside and felt it was impossible. Another lie? God doesn't really love you or want anything to do with you. You're, you're too far gone. You've messed up too bad. There are too many bridges you've burned, too many people that you've hurt. You have promised even yourself so many times it would be different this time, and, and yet you let yourself down. Forget keeping promises to God or other people. You can't even keep promises to you. So how in the world could God love you? God might love some people, but there's no way that I'm one of those people. And if you look at my life and the lack of blessing and the lack of God doing things for me, and it, it seems like I'm always on the short end of the stick. It seems like things always go this way for me. Uh, there's no way God loves me. If, if, if that's where you are, you're believing a lie and you don't understand the message of the Bible. You don't understand how much God truly loves you and how much he's done to, done to know you. There's two lies. Your situation is impossible and God doesn't love you or want anything to do with you. Now, let me give you the truth. Jesus was willing to be broken to fix your brokenness. That's how much he loves you. He's done it all. He's done everything necessary to enter your pain, to take your hurt, to take your brokenness and heal it. In a groaning, with, with, a, with a deep sigh, understanding that he will meet you right where you are and speak your language and understand exactly where the pain is and understand exactly how to communicate with you because he understands where you are. He loves you deeply. He created you and he longs to know you in a personal way. What if, what if in Mark chapter 7, the guy who's just known as the guy that was Deaf and mute. What, what if when Jesus said, hey, come over here. And the word Jesus spoke, by the way, when he touched his tongue, it literally means be open. But what if, what if the guy hadn't been open? What if when Jesus said, hey, can I talk to you? What if the guy had been like, be open. Are you, are you open to the reality that perhaps you've believed some lies? 
to a truth that there's a God who knows your pain and knows how to speak your language, whose son was willing to be broken for your brokenness, and who wants to know you. And none of your other relationships will be what they could be until this relationship, you being personally, intimately connected with the Father in a growing, loving relationship, until that relationship is settled, nothing else will be what it could be. Are you open to the fact that today might not just be another hot June Sunday? Are are you open to the fact that this might not just be another service you're attending? Are you open to the reality that maybe you came because somebody invited you or maybe you came because somebody you know is being baptized, but but you're here? And uh, Are you open to the fact that even though you thought, okay, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to lunch, are you open to the fact that there's a God in heaven that knew before you were born today what happened? And he knew exactly what you would hear even though you're suffering. And his message to you is, I know. I love you. I want to heal what's broken in you. I want to know you. Would you be willing to be open? Would you pray with me this morning? Heads bowed and eyes closed. If today is the day that you know, man, That's what I need. I need a relationship with Jesus. I need to know God in a personal way. If that's where you are, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. And listen, I can't think of a reason not to pray this prayer. I can't think of a reason not to give your life to Jesus with all that he offers. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you know, man, I I need to commit my life to Jesus. Just pray this prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. Dear God, I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin. And begin that healing process. Thank you for loving me. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today at C3 Church Online. And if you just prayed that prayer with me, I would love to know that. I want to invite you to just shoot me a text with your first name and send that to 407-487-8311. The reason I ask you to do that, I would love to be able to pray for you by name. So shoot me the text with your name and know that I'm praying for you this week. And for those of you watching that would love to connect and be a part of what God's doing, and maybe you'd like to give online, you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. And I want to thank you in advance for your faithful generosity because every time you give to C3, you're investing in life change. God bless you. Hope you have an amazing week. And if you're in Central Florida, join us in the room next Sunday. Can't wait to meet you. Have a great week.